Today we're closing out our series on Colossians called This Mystery. Uh, If you're new around RCC or you weren't here for the full series, uh, we're calling it This Mystery because it is the very thing that Paul is uh, writing about to this uh, church in Colossae uh, that, that is starting to believe that Jesus plus this mystery equals salvation or sustainability in life. And so for the first century Christians, it was a little bit of like occultic angel worship. You get that in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, probably some Roman paganism, some mysticism. And like a lot of Paul's letters, uh, he's writing against this idea that Jesus plus something else equals our salvation or sustainability or quality of life. I think if you wrote a letter to the American church, he would be writing against Jesus plus morality or being a good person is your salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing else. Simple math. I like that as a pastor. That's math I can understand. Is our salvation, is our sustainability in life. And so as we close out our series, we're going to be in Colossians 4. If you have a Bible, we we read from it every week, encourage you to bring one. Uh, We'll help you fumble through it and help you learn where different things are. Uh, Or if you have a smartphone and you want to look at your Bible app, that's fine. Either way, I want you to have a relationship with the Bible, the Word of God. So we're in Colossians 4 today, and Paul's going to give us um, five really uh, next steps that we can take to share the mystery of God with people in our circle of influence. And again, if you're new here, you're like, what is he, what's he smoking, the mystery of God? Basically, Jesus. Jesus is the mystery of God. The first thing that Paul tells this church in Colossae, or Colossae, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is that we need to have a devotion to prayer. We need to be, have a devotion to prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes, a lot of times in my life, prayer is the last resort. Uh, and Paul is saying prayer needs to be the highest priority, the first thing that you go to. In verses 2 through 4, this is what Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that, here's that phrase, we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, there are so many different ways to pray, so many different kinds of prayers. Uh, One of my favorite books on prayer is, wait for it, it's called Prayer. Uh, It's written by Richard Foster, and each chapter is a different kind of prayer that you can pray. So if you are new to prayer or want to deepen your prayer life, or maybe you're just stale in your prayer life and you want to spice it up a little bit, uh, go ahead right now, get on Amazon and order Richard Foster's book uh, on prayer called Prayer. This specific kind of prayer that Paul's talking about is intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is when we get to pray uh, on, uh, to God on the behalf of other people in our lives. And so this is how Foster defines intercessory prayer. He says, intercessory prayer is a priestly ministry. That means us, not some religious guy. Uh, it's a priestly ministry. As priests appointed and anointed by God, we, the church, we have the honor of going before the Most High on behalf of others. This is not optional. It is a sacred obligation and a precious privilege for all believers. Paul says we should not only pray, but we should be devoted to prayer. The word devoted is that. It's an action verb. It has the same imagery as someone that wants to uh, join a membership and they're committed at going early in the morning or late at night, or you're committed to learn a new skill, whether it's 
pottery or archery or whatever. It takes intentionality. You got to get it on your calendar. Prayer is not a defensive thing that we wait to you know, do it. It's an offensive thing. It's something that should be uh, on the forefront of our minds and throughout our day and even in the evening. But here, here's, here's what's interesting about this kind of prayer. If you look at church prayer requests or church prayer lists, what you'll often see uh, are prayer requests of folks that are uh, in the hospital or maybe they just had a baby, uh, someone's going through a really tough time, and those are great. Those are fine. That is some way, some version of intercessory prayer. But what Paul is talking about is praying for people that are not yet followers of Jesus. So let me ask you a hard question, but a good question. Does your prayer life actually move the kingdom of God forward? Do you find yourself, just an honest, just honest conversation we're having here, do you find yourself only praying for health, uh, financial stability, that your kids are liked at school? Those are all good things. I'm not making fun of those things. But are you also praying for people in your life that literally have no hope? On the, other side of the, uh, on the other side of this thing called life in eternity. What would it look like if everyone at RCC had a list of two to three names, three to five names, doesn't matter the amount, of people in their phone that you can set a reminder every day at a certain hour, right? 603, right? That's our area code or whatever, to pray for those people. Man, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have anybody that's not really a Christian. And I would say to that, well, statistically, that's right. Because the longer you are a Christian, the more you sort of um, incubate yourself with all things church-related, right? Sunday morning service, you're serving in the community, a life group, that if we're not careful, we can easily isolate ourselves from people that are not followers of Jesus. To that end, I would say get involved in your community. Be more, start taking people out to lunch at work. Get more, be more intentional about the people in your life. Before I came uh, to New England, I was a campus pastor uh, in Illinois, the progressive city of Peoria, Illinois, right? The epicenter of progressive culture. And uh, my boss, Jim, our lead pastor, uh, he and I were just having a conversation. He said, you know, um, you know, as pastors, we we tell our churches to invite people. Uh, this weekend's going to be awesome, you know, 20th anniversary, woo, Easter, Christmas Eve, invite your friends, right? But yet we're the last person in the church to do that. And then he asked me a question that um, uh, I, when he asked it, I, I, I felt some sort of way that I never want to feel this way again. But it was good that I felt it for my own maturity. He said, Ben, have you invited anybody to your campus over the last 30 days? I said, Jim, I, I, I haven't, man. I haven't. How involved are you in your community? Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he caught me. He caught me red-handed. I said, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I know a few people in the community, but I don't know that I'm a part of anything actively or weekly in our community. And from that conversation forward, I made it a priority to be more involved in my community. And I'm really, I'm not really here to say how awesome I am, but I've never shared this publicly. But when I moved here, that was one of my biggest priorities, is I want people to get to know me, Ben, not the pastor. I want people to be really surprised when they find out what I do for a living, right? And so I've made that a priority. And let me tell you something. It's amazing 
what happens. It's amazing how your heart grows for other people that are not followers of Jesus. Even if, even if you had a list of like two to three to five people, right? The number doesn't matter. Even if you have a list and one person or nobody, nobody comes to faith in Christ, nobody comes to RCC. The point of this prayer church is more for our heart to cultivate our heart for the lost than it is for those people to come to faith in Christ and come to church, right? People are people. They're not projects. But Paul says, I need you to pray for people that are not yet followers of Jesus. In other words, you cannot pray this prayer if you're not in relationship with people that aren't Christians. You cannot pray this prayer if you're not in relationship with non-Christians. Well, Ben, there's Sandy from HR. She's kind of annoying. I kind of don't really like her, but I'll pray for her. Nope, that's not what Paul's talking about. To say you're, to, when Paul's saying to pray for people that are outsiders, not followers of Jesus, is to also say without saying in the same breath that you are in relationship with those very people. It is a marriage that who I am in relationship with are the same people that I'm praying for on a consistent and daily basis. Paul says, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to the kind of prayer that you are in relationship with, that you know the needs. You know the needs of those friends of yours, your colleagues, your uh, friends at school, your neighbors. You know them well enough that you actually know their needs to take them up to prayer before the Lord. You can't pray for someone's need before the Lord if you don't know what's going on in their life. You cannot pray this prayer, church, if you're not actively involved in relationship with people that not only like they don't follow Jesus, they just have no frame of mind as to why he would ever be relevant. I've been here for three years, and what I have discovered that most people went to church uh, at a younger age, it just wasn't really relevant, it was boring, it was stale, um, and so why would they ever go back to it? I wouldn't. But man, if I had someone that seemed normal <laughs> and was into the same stuff that I was into and I could trust and they started sharing their faith with me and they had things like, oh, your church is at the Salem Scramble? Like, what, why do you guys do that? I've never been part of a church that like tried to connect with its community. Could you tell me more about that? Paul says, be devoted to praying for people that are not yet Christians. Secondly, he says, be, be wise about your word and your actions, your word and your deeds. Verses 5 and 6, Paul says, not, not only uh, be devoted to prayer, but now he says, be wise. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. That's a great verse, by the way, for social media. I'll just leave that there. Moving on. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation or your social media posts be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you, so that you may know uh, how to answer everyone. Paul says, followers of Jesus are people that are not just knowledgeable about the scriptures, but they let the scriptures transform their heart so that now that they, they also have wisdom about how to navigate and how to get through this thing called life. Uh, the word um, wisdom in Hebrew is Sophia. It, it, it's female in its uh, gender and its translation, which is why Proverbs 4, 6 through 7 says, do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. She will uh, watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, right? Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Paul says, pray for people 
in your circle of influence that are not Jesus followers. Don't be weird around them. Be wise. You are important because you are in the center of their circle of influence. You see them every day or every week or a couple times a month. That I don't, you have more influence than I do, than the person that's sitting on the opposite side of the room or watching online. You are in that person's life for a reason, not just to do a job with them or go to school with them or live down the street from them, but to share the mystery of God, Jesus Christ, with them as well. Be wise in how you live. Uh, a, a gal in our uh, church, her family's relatively new to our church, and uh, she was telling me the story after the first service and really connected with me, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, she, uh, she, I believe she grew up Christian and didn't go to a Christian college, went to university. Uh, she uh, dormed with a gal that was not a Christian, not a believer, didn't grow up in the church. And um, this, the, the gal that goes to RCC, uh, it was as natural to her to find something like Campus Crusades for Christ, a Christian organization on campus, as it might be for someone to figure out where Target is or where McDonald's is, right? It's just a natural, like she was raised in a, in a home where it's like, okay, when you move away to college, find a, a group of Christians that you can um, be friends with. And so she kind of did her thing, and she never really you know, judged her roommate. Um, and they graduated. They moved on. 20 years later, um, this gal that goes to our church is in line at Disney World or Disneyland, and she gets a Facebook message. 20 years later, she gets a Facebook message from her roommate, and it's a photo of those like 1990 teen version study Bibles, you know, it's all plain, you know, plastered with bright colors and very trendy for the 90s. And she said, do you remember this? This is the Bible that you gave me. Could we talk about this? I have questions. And she's like, well, I'm in line <laughs> with my family, but yes, I will. And when she got home or whenever she was available, she spent the next three hours talking to her, her about Jesus. Be wise in the way you live your lives among outsiders. Don't judge them. Don't berate them. Be Jesus to them. The end result is not up to you anyways. It's not your heaven. It's not your kingdom of God. It belongs to Jesus. There's another gal in our church um, who uh, teaches on the medical side of things, and she was teaching a class on neurology, and there was a girl that was visibly upset. And what the gal didn't know that goes to our church is a different, different gal is uh, that student of hers actually lost her baby like a couple of weeks before this class or maybe a couple of months. And uh, she asked the gal, hey, would you come outside in the hallway with me? And she asked, you know, how's it go like, what's going on? You seem upset. And she told the story of the child that she lost, it, it, wasn't gonna, it wasn't going to make it. And actually, her life was even compromised at that point. And she said, you know, Ben, I, I did something that you know, maybe I wouldn't normally do. I said, hey, college campus, guys, right? a professor, a teacher, could I pray for you? And she said, you know what? I would love that. And in the middle of her prayer, right, as God would ordain it, classes are in. Classes are over, and all these college students are flooding the hallway, watching a glimpse of heaven take place. Whether they recognize that or not or believe that or not, it doesn't matter. It's happening. Paul says, be wise. 
Be wise in the way you handle yourself and the way you speak to people that are not yet Jesus followers. And he says this, he says, uh, you need to make the most of every opportunity. I don't like that translation. I like the NIV, mostly. I don't like that translation. What, what it literally says is when you're wise with people outside of the faith, you are redeeming the time. Now, redemption uh, means to um, get something back or someone back by making a payment, right? So that's why uh, in the New Testament, sin is economical. You are in debt to someone, right? We are in debt to God. And so when we read the scriptures or sing songs that Jesus paid it all, that, that, that is a head nod to Jesus is our redemption, right? And so what Paul's not saying is that when your non-Christians become Christian, they can somehow go back in the past and kind of have a redo of everything in their life. But what he is saying is that now they have the healthiest filter to use through what's happened to them in the past, how they can stand confident in the future, and they have or confident in the present, and they have a hope for the future. Think, think about this, church. This, the, the power that you have inside of you, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that uh, rose Jesus from the dead. Jesus did not rise from the dead by himself. It was the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And when you commit, think about this, this is mind-blowing. I just, don't, I just want to quit preaching right now and, and go hang out with some of my friends, to which everyone's like, amen, right? I can eat and get ready for the Pats game. Th- think about this. Think about this, right? Think about this. You pray for three to five people. You're intentional in the way you live and the way you encourage them, the way you invest and influence them. And that person comes to faith. Now, now don't give yourself a religious guilt trip. The results are not up to you. I'm not saying that. But if that person comes to faith in Christ and begins to follow Jesus, you have redeemed their existence. You have redeemed their time on earth. Like th- That is not a bad thing to do. That is not a good thing to do. That is an ultimate thing to do. And that happens, that, that fuel that, that ignites our bones and stirs our heart happens in the quietness of our prayer life. Paul says when you do that and when you're intentional and when you're wise and someone comes to faith in Christ, you are redeeming their time on earth. And things can start to make sense. Things can start to unravel. Now, becoming Christian doesn't mean your life is perfect. Doesn't mean the hurt that someone did to you in the past magically goes away. Not at all. But you have a God that has now died for your sin, the things that you have done, and he has died for the sins that have been done to you. So now that person can start to make sense of their own brokenness and the brokenness and the junk that someone dumped on them and put on them in their personal life. One of my favorite promises God makes to the Israelites is in Joel 2.25. He says, I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. God has not given up on your friends. God has not given up on the questions of why and pain and suffering. God is looking for a handful of people in a local church that would be devoted to prayer, intentional in their relationships, so that that person might come to know Christ and follow him completely. 
The, uh, the third thing that, that Paul says that we can be about is connected relationships. I'm going to do my best to get through this paragraph. There's a lot of really funky names here in the New Testament. Pastoral confession. I tend to avoid these passages, okay? So I'm going I'm to give my best shot at naming some of these guys and gals. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark. Okay, that was an easy one. The cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. He comes to you. Welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They have proved a comfort to me. They've been a blessing to me. Apparathus, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always, I love this phrase, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. Think of my faithful grandparents who have prayed for myself and my brothers our entire lives. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. And for those at Laodicea and Areopolis, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demis send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, which is not far from Colossae, if you remember from that series in Revelation, and to Nympha and the church in her house. Why do these names mean anything? Well, Paul will never get to Colossae, Right? Paul, Paul wants to. He never planted a church. He'll, ne- he'll never get there. And so Paul is using words and language and relationships that both parties know. And if you trust them, you can trust me. If you trust me, you can trust them. And he begins naming out some of these characters, right? He begins by naming out the three Jewish men that were co-laborers in Christ, right? Why is that important? Because this church was flirting back to Judaism and uh, Old Testament circumcision and Old Testament laws and walking away from from Jesus. He mentions Mark, which is uh, the cousin of Barnabas. And if you're familiar with Acts, uh, uh, Barnabas and Paul sort of get at it, right? Barnabas is like Mr. Rogers. Paul is like Mr. T. And Paul does not like this dude, Mark. He gets on his nerves, I can identify with Paul. And Barnabas is like, hey, man, I think Mark is redeemable. You go your way, I'll go my way. And here's the thing about reconciliation with one of the guys that wrote a third of the New Testament. Paul is saying, hey, I'm vouching for Mark. Something changed in their relationship. Something changed in their relationship. And you have this gal, Nympha, which is an awesome name, who literally opened her home for a church service. Guys, it takes a diversity of people in a church community to share the mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ in the flesh with their city. The the first century Christians, uh, this will be helpful if you read the book of Acts, were so diverse that they didn't know what to call themselves for, for political reasons and for Roman census, that they decided to name themselves after the one thing, the one thing that united all of them, their leader, Jesus. And so they just said, call us Christians or little Christ, because while we have many differences, <laughs> we're, we're brought together under the banner of, of Jesus. And their community, their commitment to praying for non-believers, living wise lives, being devoted to community, change the world. Paul says we have to be devoted to our church community, right? Vulnerability over isolation. The fourth thing he says, we need to value scripture. 
Colossians 4.16, Paul says, After this letter has been read to you, see, uh, see that it also is read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. In other words, read each other's email. Right? Paul's in prison. He's writing these prison epistles or these prison letters. Multiple letters are going out. Hey, if I send you a letter, it's just not for you. Share it amongst other churches. Value the scriptures. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is alive and active. It is the only book in Barnes and Noble that reads you while you are reading it, right? Sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And Paul tells us at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is God-breathed. When you read scripture, you should, in a sense, feel the breath of God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, you and I, church, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, here's why I think Paul says, read each other's email, read each other's letters, value the scriptures. In John 5, 39, this is Jesus's view of scriptures to a handful of religious people. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Think about that. Jesus is saying, you read the Bible thinking the Bible is going to give you eternal life. It won't. That'll get you kicked out of a lot of churches, Jesus. And then he says this, the scriptures point to me. I'm the one that gives eternal life. The Bible is not a morality book that you beat people over the head with. The Bible is about Jesus, and the only ethic that we can live that will please God is not goodness, it is the righteousness of Christ, and a moral ethic that can only be given to us by somebody that is already righteous, Jesus himself. I think Paul wants this church and us to value scripture because it's the thing that we begin to drift away from that allows other ideas to pervade our mind and our soul. For this church, it was weird angelic worship or Roman paganism or a little bit of mysticism. For you, it might be morality or self-help books or dabbling in uh, the occult like Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses or Scientology, like what, whatever that is. Paul says, be committed to the scriptures because in the scriptures, what you don't get is a morality lesson, but what you do get is Jesus, the righteousness of God. Fifthly and finally, Paul says, you need to anticipate hardship. I mean, your Lord ended up on a cross, right? You need to anticipate hardship. Hardship is part of life. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not or religious or not. Notice how Paul uh, begins chapter 4 and ends chapter 4. I'll read these verses back to back. Verse 3, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then in verse 18, this is how he finishes the chapter and finishes the letter. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. There are some things worth getting arrested for. 
There are some things worth dying for. There are some things worth sticking our necks out, maybe getting made fun of at work for, or maybe being blasted on social media for, students. And that thing is always the mystery of God, Jesus himself. If you carry the ball, you're going to get tackled. And we have believed this wicked, horrible lie in the church that somehow if we are suffering, God doesn't love us or God is punishing us. No, that is an Eastern religion called karma, which we don't believe because grace exists. Because karma says what goes around comes around. Grace says, well, what, what you should get would be eternity in hell apart from me, but I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be with me forever. Paul will never make it to this city. He is in prison. And he, he is, I, I am, as I did during lockdown, during COVID, he's pleading, he's pleading with a group of people that he will never see this side of heaven to be devoted to prayer because you're in relationship with people that are not yet followers of Jesus be thoughtful and intelligent and wise in the way you carry yourself and the language you use. Be committed to community, to scripture, and know that bearing the weight of that hardship is going to be worth it. Church, it's going to be worth it. This mystery of God Jesus in the flesh is not something for us to hold on to like a phenomenal favorite Christmas present. We have to share it with the world. And I, I think I said this before. I don't remember, but I'll say it again. These lights are really hot. My experience in New England is that people have had a church experience. It just wasn't relevant to them. And so now, 20, 30 years later, they're adults. They've got you know, some of them have kids now, and they're starting to like form thoughts and asking awkward questions about God or maybe death or, or heaven or hell. That people want to have conversations with you about God. They do. I promise you. I promise you they do. And I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm telling you this because it's happened to me while living here before people find out what I do for a living, which is also equally fun to see the look on their faces, right? Church, people, people are the only thing that matter to Jesus. And here you have this, if, 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 if Paul took a personality profile, uh, he would be a dominant person that struggles with empathy. And yet he's arrested in, this, pre, in this, this jail cell, really it's house arrest, likely tied to a Roman soldier. And he's saying, for people that I'll never meet, be intentional about your relationships. Pray for people that are not followers of Jesus. Teach them to value the scriptures. Teach them to value community over autonomy. Because in the end, it's going to be worth it. This is why I labor. This is why I'm in chains, to see Christ formed in people that do not currently think Christ is relevant at all in their lives. This is the mystery of God. This is the obligation and the challenge that Paul is not only giving to the church in Colossae, but Paul is giving to the church 
at Rockingham Christian Church in Salem, New Hampshire, to share the mystery of God, which is Christ revealed in the flesh. Man, I hope you've really enjoyed this letter. It is chock full of the power and the magnitude in the person of Jesus.